Well, I want to start this morning by kind of picking a little fight. Um, most young pastors who come up on a stage have a very specific tool that they get to use, um, and that tool is a picture of their kids. You know, there's, there's usually a lull at some point in the message where people are kind of dozing off. You know, you guys, the 11 o'clock crowd, you probably slept in a little bit, so you're still a little, 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 little sleepy. And there's, there's this brilliant tool that preachers get to use, and it's called their kids. They throw up a picture of their kids, and everyone's locked in again. I'm not angry that they have kids. I'm not angry at that. I'm just angry that I don't have that tool to use as well. So I did something very wise of myself, if I do say so, and I invested in my own tool. And that tool's name is Doug. Um, <laughs> did it work? Did I get your attention? Nice. So Doug is my dog. Um, and if your name is Doug, I know there's some, some Dougs listening right now. Please hear this as a sign of respect. I will do everything in my power to raise my Doug to live up to your legacy. <laughs> so I, I thought when I, when I bought a dog earlier this year that as an introverted person, I was like, yes, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be able to take my dog on long walks and, and maybe throw in some headphones, block out the world. It'll be fantastic for me to get some time away with my dog. But of course, I got an extroverted dog. I didn't know extroversion was a thing with dogs. But of course, all dogs love people. But Doug has this thing where if he doesn't see a person on our walk besides me, I'll just lay down. And he gives me really two options. You can drag me home or carry me home, but I am not walking. So he kind of runs our relationship. So I, I, I moved our walks to downtown Grand Haven so we could see as many people as we could. Um, but he'd still get in some situations where, yes, people are there, but if they don't pay attention to him, he's still kind of grumpy about it. Um, so if, if they're not paying attention to him, he's still out. But then we kind of changed up our route that we, we walked downtown. We started walking past a place where there's trees. And where trees are, there are sticks. And I discovered very simply, Doug loves sticks. Right? It's adorable. I know. I'm a little biased, but I know. Um, so he loves sticks, not just chewing on them, but he will, he will pick one up at the beginning of the walk and carry it with him until we get back in the car. It doesn't matter where he's going at that point. If he has a stick in his mouth, the world is a good place. It doesn't even matter. I, it hurts to say it doesn't even matter if I'm there. I was, I was out of the state in this picture. He could care less. Probably the happiest moment of his life when he, when he was just walking, stick in his mouth. Life is good. And it made me ask the same question for myself. Do, am I so proud of something like, like Doug is of the stick that he found in the ground that wherever I'm going, if I have it with me, life is good? And I started thinking about the things that I carry with me every single day. You know, I got my phone, wallet, keys, and I have headphones with me, things that I use every single day. But I was more curious about the things that, that I carry with me every single day but had really have no idea that I'm carrying with me because I don't use them at all. And to do this, I, I started looking through the trunk of my car, um, and I found this hardy tool bag. Um, and when I first saw it, I was kind of proud of myself. I'm like, I got a tool bag in my trunk. It's been back there for two years, never had to use it. But I'm like, if, if I do need it, I got one in the trunk. I'm ready. And if someone else needs me, you know, I'll roll up in my tool bag and say, hey, how can I help? But then I started you know, looking through what I thought was going to be the numerous several tools in here. Um, I start off with one tape measure, a single Phillips head screwdriver, and a second smaller tape measure. <laughs> And I kid you not, when I pulled this out, I did one of these numbers because I'm like, there has to be more in here. I've been carrying this thing in my trunk for two years. 
and it is useless. What am I going to do if I get stranded on the side of the road with a tape measure? I'm like, okay, I'm 22 inches from the side of the road. That seems safe. That does me no good to fix my car or anybody else's car. Um, so it does bring shame upon me and my family to say that, but I am not seeking for more help with my tools. I know where to buy tools. I am just ashamed that I've been carrying this around and it's been pointless. Um, so I'm not very proud of that. I'm not the level of, of Doug here, super proud of what he's been carrying around because I realized what I'm carrying doesn't have a lot of purpose. So as we've been talking about for the past five weeks now, we are trying to connect our summer culture of living recreationally to our biblical culture of living on a mission, being the church deployed. So on this mission of being the church deployed, the, the question I have is, what are you bringing with you? Do you even know what you're bringing with you? And Evan talked last week about the idea of how do we go. And he, he mentioned the, the importance of leaning into the, the promptings of the Holy Spirit to know where and how to go. But I'm kind of asking these two different questions, taking it a step further, now asking where are we going and what are you bringing with you? And even if this is your first time here, maybe you skipped a few weeks of the series, the, the phrase being the church deployed or living a life on mission or you are the church, I know can bring up a whole mess of emotions for everyone in this room. Because I, th- I, think, I, th- I think of the young parents right now, packed schedules, and you hear, you are called to be the church. And you're like, maybe in a few years when I got some more time. Let's let the church be the church. I will attend, I will tithe, I will like the Facebook page so it gets more views, but I don't have the capacity to give anything else right now. And I think of like students and young adults who everyone assumes they have all the time because they don't have a family in West Michigan. And you're like, please don't ask me to do one more thing. Let me, let me live the life that I wanna live I will still come to church, I'll do it, but I don't need another thing in my schedule just because I don't have a family. And I could go through all the different life stages, you know, the, the empty nesters or the ones who are retired. You know, you're, you finally have some time in your schedule. You've worked so hard for this point and now you just want a little bit of a rest and a break. You don't want to be called to do something else. Those who've been hurt by the church, you're like, hey, I never signed up to, to be the church. I just came to church. It took a lot for me to get here. I don't need to be the church right now. I could go through a whole list of things, but I think the thing that we can all agree upon, no matter what stage of life we're in, there's probably one more hurdle we have to get over to bind to this whole church deploy thing. And these are two lies that we probably either tell ourselves or we hear told to us. Number one is I don't think God actually wants to use me. And number two, even if he did, I know I don't have what it takes. I don't think the God, uh, the creator of the universe, the all-powerful God, actually wants to use me. Like, have you seen my life? There's no way that he wants to or even needs to use me. And hypothetically, let's say he did, I know I'm not ready for it. I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't have any training. I don't even know what it means to lead someone to Christ. I know I am not ready to lead someone to Christ. So we have this wall and you could be 95% on board with being the church deployed. But if we don't get over this last wall, we're not going to be bought into it. So that's really the purpose of today. As we wrap up this series, as we put a nice bow on it, um, we, we have to answer those two problems. And to do that, we have to answer to these two questions. Where are you going and what are you bringing with you? And we're going to come back to this first one at the end here. But I want to start us by focusing on the second one. What, where, what are you bringing with you? On this journey to be the church deployed, what are you bringing with you everywhere you go? 
And to do this, we're going to kind of join in in the story of the people of Israel. And if you have no idea what that story is, let me just give you a little context here. God promised the people of Israel through, through this guy named Abraham a land because at the time they were, they were homeless, they were kind of wandering. So he promised this land to Abraham. They call it the promised land. Super confusing name, I get it. And he said, this, this will be your home one day. But then they found themselves in captivity as slaves in Egypt. And then they eventually become free from Egypt. They are, they are now out of slavery. So now they start their journey from, from Egypt to the promised land. Now, it's, it's kind of a straight shot if you take one way, but God led them a different way because he knew that, that the longer path would be the healthiest thing for them, not necessarily the straight path. So he, he led them to wandering, and that took like a 40-year journey for them to wander through the desert. And he wanted his presence to be physically tangible with them during this time, so he instructed them to build a tabernacle. All that a tabernacle is, it's a mobile temple. So as they're wandering through the desert, they can set up a tent, have a temple there, they can tear it down and move along. And God gives a ton of instructions on what this is supposed to be like, you know, specific woods to be used, and what kind of drapes, and how long it should be, and how tall, and who can go in this thing and not this one. But at the end, after it's all completed, he says, okay, now it's time for my presence to come down and fill this place. And that's where we pick up here. It says, then a cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled it. I want us to try to imagine what that would actually be like nowadays. The glory of the Lord filling a single tent. And this wasn't just like a a soft fog that rolled through. It wasn't a a weather anomaly. It was very clearly the presence of God on a single tent. Just start to think of the, the ways that that would change your belief, that would change your faith. They never had to question, oh, I wonder if God is here in this place because they could look out their tent and see a cloud resting outside. And we're going to read in a few verses that at night it turned into a pillar of fire. So now think about that. You can't sleep at night. So you say, okay, I'll go take a walk around camp. You start thinking about all your worries and distresses, and you start to think, man, I I really, really just wish God was here with me. I don't even know if he's real. Now, according to God, you see a pillar of fire raining down from heaven. You're like, right. He's probably here. And, and obviously, I don't have to tell you that that's not the case nowadays. When I walked here, on, here up on stage, a pillar of fire didn't fall down from the ceiling. You're like, okay, so what's the point of, of bringing this up if this is not how we live today? I wanted us to notice how the Israelites interacted with this cloud. And all the travels of the Israelites, so as they were journeying from Egypt to the promised land, whenever the cloud lifted from above, above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of the Israelites during all their travels. So very simply, the way that this worked was the presence of God would move, and the people in the temple would follow. This happened for many years. This was the structure. Presence of God first, people in the temple followed. And I want to fast forward us now to hundreds of years later, the, the temple was built permanently. They got to the promised land. They, they built it permanently there. Then it was destroyed. Then it was built up again. And then Jesus came. And at the time, there was a, a curtain that would separate the Holy of Holies where God's presence rested and the rest of the, the, the temple. And, and this curtain really represented religion and legalism and following all the rules in order to get to God. So when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was torn in two as a way to say, no, 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 now my presence is available to all. You don't have to follow a certain set of rules. You don't have to abide by a certain religion. My presence is available to all. So when Jesus tore that curtain, he, he spun the game on this whole thing. 
Because now, rather than us having to follow the presence of God and set up a tabernacle everywhere we go, we read these words that Paul wrote. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? So this original context was written in the, the, the idea of physically honoring God with your bodies. But we, we can directly apply this when it, when it comes to what it means about the presence of God. Our bodies, and this is, remember this is plural, all of our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is living inside of us. So what Jesus did on the cross, and if you have a relationship with him, he has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. So now your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Your bodies bring the Holy Spirit with you. So that kind of shifted the game. Now instead of the presence going first and the temple and the people following, now wherever you go, the presence of God goes. It's not complicated. It's not super deep theology. It's simple, but it is so powerful. Wherever you go, the presence of God goes. And this can be taken in a very comforting way, knowing I've never been apart from God. He's never left me or forsaken me. Absolutely. But I want to challenge you to think a little bit, a little bit further today. And this is empowering and encouraging, knowing that every step I take, everywhere I go, I bring the Holy Spirit with me. I bring the very presence of God with me as someone who's in relationship with Christ and filled with the Spirit. And you can see the power that this has on people. If you want to do a fun study after this, compare the disciples before and after they're filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. You'll see beforehand they're, they're, they're asking some pretty, pretty offhand questions and they're, they're speaking out of turn. And then once they're filled with the Spirit, they start to speak in boldness in, in courageous ways. You'll see that they start to heal in ways they were unable to heal before. They start to rejoice in their persecution where before they were unnecessarily fighting back. When we realize that when we walk, we walk with the Spirit, there's power there. And I hope you haven't forgotten why we're walking through this now, why, why we're talking about this. We, we want to connect our summer culture of recreation, of vacation and relaxation to the culture of the mission that we've been sent on. And that mission is to go and make disciples. This is the same mission that Jesus gave to his disciples before he left earth, and he gifted them with the Holy Spirit for that mission. So if you have a relationship with Jesus, the same exact thing is true for you. Your mission is to go and make disciples, and you've been gifted with the Holy Spirit to do that. Now you could be saying, now, okay, okay, young guy up on stage, I get it. We've got the Holy Spirit, we're on a mission, I'm good with that. But I still don't know if God really wants to use me. And I really, really, really know I, I'm not ready to be used. I don't have what it takes. And if that's you thinking that this morning, I don't want you to feel guilty about that. I just want you to know we're, we're in that same boat together. We are together on this journey of stepping over that last wall to be in the church deployed. So I have two challenges for us this morning when it comes to that. If you truly want to be the church deployed, two things need to happen in your life. You need to stop underestimating how much God wants to move through you. He truly wants to move through you. And speaking from experience, we underestimate that all the time. But, but here's the truth. God does not waste his gifts. If he promised and fulfilled that promise to fill you with the gift of the Holy Spirit, that means he wants to use you. So the very breath in your lungs this morning is a testament that God wants to use you. 
Let me speak to the young people real quick. You're my comfort zone. Let me be a youth pastor for a second. The breath in your lungs right now is God saying to you, I want to use you right now in your age. So don't you dare use that excuse if I am too young to make a difference. I can only influence those who are younger than me. I have to wait until I'm older to influence those who are older than me. There is no junior Holy Spirit. The the same God that works in the generation above you is the same God that works in you. He speaks to the generation above you in the same way that he speaks to you. So young people, be bold. Be the change in your family. Be the change in your friend group. And I love telling this story of something that happened in our student ministries warehouse this past year. There's this middle school boy who who had a friend who um, was outwardly not a Christian. He would identify as an atheist. But he still said, you know, I I really think that he would benefit from coming to warehouse with me. So he invited him and invited him and invited him, and he continued to turn him down. And then finally, one Sunday he came. That was a year ago. He hasn't missed a week since. Now he's still questioning and doubting and has a lot of curiosity, but he has not missed a week of biblical community in his life because his friend realized, I'm a middle school boy. And I'm absolutely still as much of the church as everyone else. So young people, listen very clearly. You have the power to bring change no matter your age. And if you don't identify as young, notice that I did not identify you. You did that yourselves. Don't get angry at me, please. If you did not identify that, no matter your age bracket or, or how much time you have in your schedule or how much energy you have, no matter how much hurt you may have been from the church, no matter how many doubts you may have right now, God still wants to move through you and in you. But the question is, are you underestimating how much he actually wants to? And the second thing that we have to do to be the church deployed is we need to stop overthinking that you're not ready to be used by God. Because he doesn't send you off empty-handed on this mission to be the church deployed. You're, You're given a much hardier tool bag than I have here. Because it's not filled with scripture references and quotes from a pastor and lyrics to a worship song. It's filled with his presence. And the Bible says that where his presence is, there is freedom. Where his presence is, there is peace and wisdom and boldness and courage. So to be frank, you don't have what it takes to be the church deployed. Very encouraging. I I don't have what it takes to be the church deployed. And I thank God for it. Because I know if I stepped out to be the church deployed with my tool bag filled with my things, sure, I would bring my strengths with me. You would bring your strengths. Maybe that's you have a ton of compassion towards other people. Maybe that's empathy or even just your bubbly personality. You bring those strengths with you. But if you're bringing your own tool bag and nothing else, you're also bringing your weaknesses. So now here you are bringing your pride into the being to the church deployed. You're bringing your fear. You're bringing your selfishness. You're bringing your arrogance. And pretty soon, this tool bag gets, gets pretty heavy with things that don't really help you out. And soon enough, you're going to put it in your trunk and forget about it for two years and realize how worthless it's been. So when we pick up the tool bag that God has for us for being the church deployed, he still lets us use those strengths. He still lets us use the things that we're really good at. But then where we are weak, he's strong. So instead of, of bringing with us our fear... His presence brings us peace and boldness and courage. And instead of our, our, our pride and arrogance, he gives us a gospel-centered humility. 
So this tool bag that God has for us is not just filled with tools, but is filled with his very presence. And this is where impossible happens. When we begin to realize the power that, that is behind the stopping, underestimating, and stop overthinking, impossible begins to happen, both in the lives of those around us and in our lives ourselves, too. And I want to come back to that first question that we started with, but first, got to use my tool. You guys back in? We focused again? Okay, that was the only point of that picture. Coming back to this first question, we're going to end here. Where are you going? We, I, and I hope that the time that we just spent on the what are you bringing with you makes the, question, makes the answer to this first question a lot simpler. Evan talked last week about specifically leaning into the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And I do believe that location is important, that we are called to specific people and specific places and times in our life. But what if we ask God, where do you want to send me, and we don't hear anything? Are we supposed to just stop being the church deployed until he says something? Absolutely not. Because wherever we go, we bring the presence of God to places the church could never go. Wherever we step into, we bring the presence of God to places the church can never go. And I want you to realize the power that that has. Because it's not just missionaries that bring the church to places and countries that the church can never go. That is you. The physical church cannot meet in your gym The physical church cannot meet in your school hallways. The church can't meet in your lunch spot or your coffee shop. The church can't meet in your boat in the center of the lake. But when you realize that you are a mobilized temple, you bring the presence of God and you bring the church to the place where it cannot physically meet. So this question of where are you going becomes a lot simpler to answer. It doesn't matter. Because wherever you go, you are the temple. You are bringing the presence of God with you. Now hear me clear that I'm not saying don't listen to God's promptings because he will tell you sometimes that person, this place. But don't be held up if you don't hear the clarity of where to go because wherever you go, you bring the presence of God with you. So to answer these questions, as I said, this was, this was our answer of getting over that last last wall of being the church deployed. You could be almost all the way there and listen to the the whole series, but still say, like, I don't think I want to be used by God. The answer to these two questions is simply this. As a mobilized temple, you bring the presence of God to places the church could never go. Soon you think, I don't know if God actually wants to use me. He gifted you with his very presence. I don't know about you, but that tells me that he wants to use you. Okay, sure, I have the Holy Spirit, but I don't think I have what it takes. You have the very presence of God living inside of you. He has given you everything you need. He has given you the perfect tool bag to take on this journey with you, to be the church in places that the church could never go. And I want to end with, with giving you guys a very clear picture of what this actually looks like. And we're going to share a story here of people from our own church and you're going to see it on the screens. You're going to see three different people on the screens here. You're going to see Ken Ernie, and he's going to talk about his recent diagnosis with ALS and the journey and the struggles that have come with that. And then you're going to see Doug and Michelle Dewey, um, and they are part of the many fan club of Ken Ernie right now who are in the building, um, and they, they know the story, and they, they simply ask the question of, what can we do to help? How can we 
help as the church to the family. So take a look at the story of Ken Ernie. My daughter Jackie is actually married to their oldest son Steve and that's how we got to know the Ernie's. They did um, start attending All Shores, I want to say shortly after we did. Yeah, it was right around the same time. Lori actually noticed some symptoms in me that I would talk about during work uh, or after work, tired legs and, and feet and stuff, but that would have been back in January of 2020. It appeared that ALS would possibly check the boxes looking at the symptoms. In my mind, I figured out, okay, even though the boxes are checked, look at the last one, it's rare. It's, it's almost impossible to be one of 30,000 people diagnosed in the country each year. Lori and I went back to the specialists at Spectrum and uh, he said, I, I think you have ALS, you need to come back tomorrow for complete testing all over again, in which that next day was June the 30th. Um, everything was verified. What do we do next? What's the next step? I need to learn. And he said, go home and grieve. And so I'm thinking inside, whoa, this is, this is really serious business. Jackie had called me and, you know, mom knows the tone of her daughter's voice. And I was like, what's, what's wrong? And she's like, Ken was diagnosed with ALS. Couldn't say anything, you know, what can you say? So you just walk with them in it, and that's what we did. This disease started in my lower limbs, so it's getting really difficult to climb stairs or, or to maneuver at all um, without a walker, or, and we live in a two-story home, so. And we were thinking about their home, their current facility, and they live in Fruitport, uh, cute house, um, but it's one of those ones that couple steps down into the family room. The main level is tight. Um, bedrooms are upstairs, I do believe. Uh, it was not a house that you could change and make it ADA. And that, that was kind of how we started talking last summer was, well, what, what are the options for a new home? You know, remodeling their, their current house was an option, but we looked at it and it's just like, ah, that, that floor plate just doesn't make that much sense to, to start from. We talked about, well, can you just go buy and, uh, you know, a barrier-free home? And, and at the time, the market was just starting to heat up, so they were expensive if they were available. We said, well, what happens if we build a new one? Between the Ernie's being very connected in the community and, and us having some pretty good connections, let alone the Allshorts family, um, we've been, pretty much whenever we've asked for help, we've gotten it. So that's been, that's been nice. And, and even, even things like discounts. I mean, obviously the lumber prices and everything are crazy right now. And, you know, we've been, we've been able to partner pretty good to, to keep costs down as much as possible and um, look for opportunities wherever, wherever we yeah. can get them um, just to keep it as, as affordable as possible right now. 75 or 80 people have responded in different ways and um, it's been really awesome. So far, I mean, we were talking about it last <laughs> night. We've had good weather. For the most part, we've had, you know, ample volunteers. I still continue to be amazed that people are giving up their, their weekends, and some of which I've never ever met before in my life. So many people have said, I've got your back, I've got this, I'll cover this, or I've got this machine you can use at no charge, or whatever. 
Um, it continues to be um, a humbling event, and I know there's people working really hard. And people here from church are, are involved in so many ways. I had a couple of people come up to me at, on the stage saying that their daughter was struggling with the church, and she heard about this, and she's like, you know, that's what the church is about. So it's inspired her, you know, to maybe endeavor in her, into her walk with God a little more. And I'm thankful for our church who has a constantly uh, talked to us about the messy life that's there for everyone and his promises that I am with you, I won't leave you. Are we always on top of life? No. Do we get discouraged? Yes. Do we doubt? I'm sure. But it's in the heart that God is with us and I just think that makes all the difference in how you you face things and I truly believe Circumstances like this are not in our control, um, but our response is in our control. And what a powerful picture of being the church deployed. Uh, because Doug and Michelle simply asked the question of what can we do to help, they mobilized themselves. They mobilized their temple and brought the presence of God with them on that journey. And I want you to notice that they didn't have to, to learn a brand new skill. They didn't have to move countries to do this. They didn't have to sit down and read the entire Bible before they set out on this. They saw a need and they moved. And the Holy Spirit living inside them moved. And because of this, not only was a need met, not only was a house built, but, but now someone who was questioning the church, who had seen the way the church has been, has been painted all over this world, is now saying, if that's what the church is about, I could get interested in that. If that's the church, I want in. And I would love for us to be a church who spreads people like that, who are showing the world what the church is all about. And I love what Ken ended with, with there, saying circumstances like this are not in our control, but our response to it is. And while we may not be able to understand the way that, that those words have for Ken specifically, we can apply them to what we, we just talked about here today. The circumstances of, of the way that the church views, or the world views the church, that may not be in our control. We may want to control it, but it's not in our control. But our response to that is, and our response is us. Us as the church is our response to the way that the church is viewed. So I want to give you two very clear and simple ways for us to respond as the church in being a better representation. First step is to ask for open eyes to his work. This should be a regular part of our prayer. And like I, like I said at the beginning, this could be, God, show me the work you're doing again, or maybe God, for the first time ever, open my eyes to the way that you're working in my life. Because I believe that if we have our eyes open more regularly and wider to the way that he's working around us, we will begin to deeply, deeply believe that he wants to use each and every single one of us. But it doesn't just stop there because then we have to go in boldness. Not with our own tool bag filled with our strengths and our weaknesses, but go step out in boldness knowing that you've been giving everything you need in the power of the Holy Spirit. You've been blessed with that gift to go and be the church deployed all over. 
And I, it is my prayer that we would be a church that we come here together to gather, but then once we leave these walls, we bring our mobile temples all over our community. That we be a church that is spread wide because we all realize that we are bringing the presence of God to places that we can never bring it here. Would you pray with me? God, you are a good God and you give good gifts. And God, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the way that it, it not only comforts us, but empowers us to be your church. So God, I pray for those right now who are on that last step to get to being fully bought in, to being the church deployed. For those who have, who have waited for a location or waited for a sign, God, would you tell them specifically right now that they have everything they need, that you are walking with them, that they bring your presence with them. And God, for those who may not feel like they are a temple of the Holy Spirit, who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray, I pray specifically you would tell them clearly in a way that they can understand right now that you love them deeply. Not because of what they will do, but because of who they are. And God, I pray that you would, you would help them realize that there is nothing that could separate them from your love, and that you deeply want to use them. God, we thank you for the gift that you've given us through Jesus the way that he tore the temple curtain in two so that we can have a relationship with you. And we thank you and we love you. In your name we pray, amen.